Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. Hello and welcome to the FT's Arts Podcast. I'm Raphael Abraham, the FT's Assistant Arts Editor, and this week we're talking about Woody Allen. The British Film Institute has just launched a season of Woody Allen comedies at the BFI South Bank in London, ranging from his knockabout beginnings with films such as Bananas and Sleeper in the 70s to his latest, the box office hit Midnight in Paris. Allen's biggest commercial success to date it has grossed more than $130 million worldwide. Like 2005's Match Point and 2008's Vicky Cristina Barcelona, it was hailed by some critics as a return to form. But do such films really constitute a new late surge of creativity in Alan's work? How do these works compare with his earlier films? And do those earlier works still resonate as strongly with a 21st century audience? With me to debate these questions are Jeff Andrew, head of film programme at the BFI, Peter Aspen, the FT's arts writer, and Nigel Andrews, FT film critic. But first, let's listen to a clip from Alan's 1986 film Hannah and Her Sisters, in which Alan's character Mickey runs into Holly, his ex-wife's sister, played by Diane Weist. I don't know if you remember me, but we had the worst night of my life together. <laughs> I remember yes, you. Yes, you do recall, I right? recall you. I was walking past and I just saw yeah. you in here and I thought I'd come in and, and we could replay a, an We old, didn't uh, hit it off. Just putting it mildly, <laughs> we did everything but exchange gunshots. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm you fine. look wonderful. Oh, no. Yeah, no, you do, you do. It yeah. was a very terrible evening. Remember yeah, slamming the cab door in my face and... You know, just came very dangerously close to emasculating my nose in a, in a really horrible way. <laughs> oh, well, that you was a long time ago. You do. People what do you change. Well, I hope no. you've changed. Yeah, I hope I you hope have I hope so too. for your sake, yeah, because you know, your yours. personality sure left something to be desired, namely a personality. Jeff, thanks very much for joining us. Tell me about your Woody Allen season. Why him and why now? Well, we've been thinking of doing an Alan season for a long time. Um, obviously, his career is very prolific and long, and so he's had his ups and downs. And it was really a question of what to do and when to do it. And uh, we thought we did really want to stick to the comedies, especially as we wanted to do something in in these chilly months of, um, of the winter. So we'd sort of more or less decided we would do it now, but I went to Cannes with... Uh, the the task of seeing Midnight in Paris, was it going to be the right time to do the season? If it had been a real clinker, then maybe we'd have put it off. I doubt it. But actually, of course, it was greeted as a returned form by many. And as it happens, I didn't know then, it became his biggest hit to date. Uh, so I think we got the timing right, actually. Well, Peter... You called Midnight in Paris a sentimental piece of tat. Uh, do you think he deserves a, a season right now? Oh, um, undoubtedly. I mean, you know, a major filmmaker. Of course he deserves a season, a wonderful filmmaker. And, you know, you know, everything's relative. So um, when people, I think, talked about Midnight in Paris as a, as a return to form, if you think of um, such horrific uh, films as um, Scoop and Cassandra's Dream, and which all came out in recent years, I mean, it's better than those. But... 
I don't know. I take I take it very personally. <laughs> this these kind of these these films. It, it it affects me very much to see these great filmmakers decline and and lose their ear for great dialogue. You know, we heard in that little clip, even in that little clip, the timing, the the the, the overlapping. It's just so right. And of course. Woody Allen is the great director of of New York and what happened in New York in the over the last thirty years. So, as I said, everything relative. I'm just always so disappointed. I haven't really enjoyed a Woody Allen film for a very long time. Nigel, uh, do you agree? What's special about Woody, and has he still got it? I think there are sort of, I mean, very crudely putting it, I think there are kind of three periods. One is the one that ended with the great leap forward from Love and Death to Annie Hall, because his first few films were kind of parodies, Mel Brooks-type spoof, uh, variations on genres, and uh, then came Annie Hall and Manhattan, and suddenly there was a new Woody Allen who was this incredible multidimensional antic autobiographer pulling in his own life experiences, his own love affairs and everything. Mm. And I think that went on up to the film that for me is his great underrated movie, which is Husbands and Wives, which uh, for me may almost be his best film, period. And then there was, if I can put it, a kind of great leap backwards. Immediately after Husbands and Wives, he made Manhattan Murder Mystery, which was a throwback um, not only from from a rounded drama comedy to the old kind of uh, gentle sort of uh, spoofy comedy. Um, Also, it was a throwback from Mia Farrow to Diane Keaton. Well, Diane Keaton had been great in the early films, but it wasn't a good sign that he was suddenly reverting uh, to... Uh, the old um, cast, as it were, as well as the old mannerisms. And since then, I'm afraid, I agree with Peter, I think it's been all at, at a lower level and a lower echelon than the than the great uh, heyday. Jeff, I mean, you pro, you programmed this, and you've only included three of the last, I think, 12 I, films. Yes, so is that a statement it, in itself? It is. I mean, we could have included more films if we'd have had more space in the programme. We didn't, so I had to be selective and I have to agree that there has been a decline. I agree particularly with Nigel that Husbands and Wives was probably the last really great film, although I think Deconstructing Harry is really interesting in many ways. And there have been flashes of the former genius in a number of films, but some real real dogs as well. My own um, thing, we decided that we would revive a couple of films to give them runs. And uh, I opted, lots of people were saying, oh, you should do Manhattan or Annie Hall. Well, they've been done to death, I think, really. And also, I don't think they are his best films. A film I've always thought was underrated, even when it came out, was Zelig. And I've always thought it was a masterpiece. And it's, it's a prescient masterpiece, I think, in many ways. But also, he did it before there was digital technology, which is remarkable. And Hannah... I just think is one of his loveliest dramas. It's it's quite Chekhovian and and it's got some great performances. It's a real ensemble piece. Although I must admit I was tempted by Husbands and Wives as well. I think Husbands and Wives was it's a great film, but again it suffered a bit when it came out because people were trying to see it as a film aclef. They was I I remember going to the press show and people were laughing at it not because it was funny so much as because they thought it told them something about the relationship with Farrow. Well, well, I mean, I have, a th- I have a theory that, in a way, Woody Allen was shocked by how honest and to the bone uh, Husbands and Wives was himself, uh, because it was, prese- it was his most successful attempt to do a mock documentary. It's full of 
bizarre jump cuts and mm. interviews to cameras, and it's very jagged, and there are these visceral performances, particularly from Judy Davis, and you can't quite believe something this frank and raw is coming from Woody Allen, and I wonder if he wasn't, especially when people did tie it in to the scandal and the separation from Mia Farrow, where he did, whereby he didn't retreat too far and decide, well, perhaps it's nicer to have people uh, liking my uh, movies in a kind of cuddly way rather than presenting them with something quite this challenging. Peter, I mean, if, if we look back at the sort of 70s and 80s Woody Allen films, which most of us love, you know, do you think they stand up now as well? Do you think they play well to a 21st think, century they, you audience? You know, they still make me laugh. Um, I remember seeing them at the time. You know, I couldn't wait to see... Well, Manhattan's the one I remember. You know, it was a classic, you know, queued up on the Friday night to go and see it on the day of release. And it seemed to capture the time and place so superbly. You know, um, what Tom Wolfe called the me generation, the 70s. And these have all become cliches, of course. But, you know, this is before Frazier. This is before all that all that stuff about New Yorkers being obsessed with themselves. It, it, it really, you know, that, that great exchange with Diane Keaton where she, where she says, um, you know, my analyst, Danny, uh, told me, blah, blah, blah. And he says, you call your analyst Danny? And I call mine Dr. Chomsky, you know. And it, it seemed to me, just in that exchange, such such a concise way of signaling this movement of psychoanalysis, the spiritual heart of psychoanalysis from Europe to America. Um, so, yeah, I think they're, they're masterpieces. And, and I agree, you know, Zelig, Husbands and Wives, all really great films. Husbands and Wives, of course, he actually experimented with form quite yes, a lot. As exactly. you say, jump cuts. Exactly. And the, I mean, it was look, a shaky camera, Yes, he was it, breaking you know? the mould. He was breaking yeah. the form. And it was kind of jumping out all over the place. And you thought, wow, he can go even further. And instead, he didn't. He yeah, went back. Absolutely. Yeah, I, that, that's clearly a turning point, I think. Jeff, staying with husbands and wives for a minute, um, some people may be surprised to see that included in a, on a list of comedies because in many ways it's quite a dark film. It is a dark film, but it's it's it's... It's, I wouldn't call it a black comedy, but it's certainly a dark comedy. I, uh, many of the best comedies are very dark. If you think of a film like His Girl Friday by Howard Hawks, which is about the potential execution of an innocent man, you know, and yet it's possibly the funniest talkie ever. If Woody Allen could, were making films like that now, I would be a lot happier. Well, also Chekhov called the Cherry Orchard a comedy, and everyone <laughs> looks at it and thinks, oh, God, this is sort of a, you know, a, a suicide note if ever there was one with a few laughs. Here and there, um, but but he's um, I mean you know one has seen the headlines so often above a Woody Allen piece seriously funny and of course that's it he was a serious comic artist otherwise he wouldn't been able to drag in people like Marshall McLuhan and Saul Bellow to do cameos I mean no other comic filmmakers <laughs> managed anything like that. But it's sad that we're talking about him in the past tense. <laughs> you see well, yeah, it was and and this is so telling, really. And I think opening the question up more broadly, you know, artists losing their touch. It's it's a it's a fascinating thing, you know. And to me, there's no doubt that the, the London films, for example, he just had no feel for the way people talk in London. He was taken. It's admirable, I guess, wanting to move out of his natural habitat, but it just shows how dependent he was actually on that habitat. But in in Annie Hall, he famously quotes the Groucho Marx line about "I'd never want to belong to any club that would have me as a member." Do you think he's happy as an outsider that he doesn't really care what the critics say and whether his films reach a big audience and he just keeps producing what he does he'd be pretty um yeah pretty um resistant to all that now and just goes his own way doing his own thing i mean he's um he's an original <laughs> he certainly is but we're all talking about him in the past tense and yet <laughs> this is the most successful film he's ever made certainly successful at the box office why do you think this one has captured the imagination of audiences 
I don't think he got on very well with London. I, th- I think one reason he has left New York uh, is because of funding. He needed money from somewhere and he couldn't get it in America anymore. And, you know, I think the Film Council here uh, welcomed him um, and Film London welcomed him. And since then, he's had to sort of go to various places. Um, and I think perhaps why Vicky Cristina, Barcelona and Midnight in Paris have been more successful is partly because people like those cities. They're nice, warm places where you can set comedies. And certainly uh, Midnight in Paris is a very nostalgic view of of Paris. I mean, knowingly so, it questions the value of nostalgia, of course, but seems to want to have its cake (laughs) and eat it in many respects. But I do think that it's as much to do with the cities as anything else. I think in a way Midnight in Paris, I mean, Midnight in Paris is very skillful. There's uh, some of the parodying of the Ernest Hemingway style Mm. of prose and speech and indeed the F. Scott Fitzgerald is quite clever. Um, But it's the kind of thing we had from Woody Allen when he was writing prose sketches before he even started making films. It's like his New Yorker parodies or his um, story where Emma, you know, he goes back in time to eat Emma Bovary. We kind of been there before half a century ago and you think, well, it's it's nice and it's sweet and it's sort of nostalgic for Woody Allen diehards. But uh, it's not... um, it's certainly not an advance on the middle period, let alone the early period of and movies. Terrible. And the girl on the bridge, which just, you know, at the end, and the rain falling, that's just where, you know, he, he's capable of great sweetness in his film, uh, films, as well as some pretty searing misanthropy, I think. And and that's lovely. And when he gets it in balance, it's all great. But that, it, that ending just seemed to, you know, were I reviewing it, I'd have sort of subtracted two stars instantly, which would have probably put it into <laughs> minus territory for me. You alluded earlier to, I think, Nigel, you did, uh, how prolific he is as a filmmaker. Do you think that sort of made a difference to how we view his work now? Someone like Terence Malick, who's produced five films in the last 40-odd years, and Woody Allen's produced 40... Yes, it's kind of, I mean, you do. You can't help tarnishing the legend in a way. I mean, people say, you know, it was a great career move of James Dean to die in the 1950s because one's left with uh, that trilogy of movies which made him an eternal kind of folklore legend, whereas Marlon Brando went on getting fatter and lazier and uh, making worse and worse films, although, you know, there's clearly a legend that still lives on there as well. Yes, I don't think ultimately, in other words, ultimately, I don't think it's going to spoil. We're still going to pick out the best movies and say this was a great filmmaker and this was a great canon. And I think the other movies will drop away. Shakespeare wrote one or two rotten plays, but they just don't get produced. So it's sad. I mean, (laughs) but like Peter and I'm sure like Jeff, you know, one goes to every new Woody Allen film desperately willing it to be the true return to form as opposed to the kind of semi return to form. And um Maybe it'll happen, but he is uh, getting on now. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I have to say I did enjoy Vicky Cristina Barcelona simply on the grounds I thought the performances were just so explosive and, and, and terrific, really. And, and I think that it shows something about his reputation that so many people want to work for him. I, I remember doing an interview with Chris and Scott Thomas once and then right at the end just we sang our goodbyes. And I, you know, I'd ask some kind of fatuous questions about ambitions of the future, and she said to appear in a Woody Allen film. And I said, "What? Are you are you kidding? <laughs> Have you seen any recently?" But you know that the power of that reputation endures. Jeff, I just wondered one thing uh, about you know the the selection of the comedies um, in Stardust Memories. I remember that Allen's character is accosted by a group of fans who sort of hail his early funny films. Mm. 
What do you think he'd make of this selection of, of his comedies? Um, well, I, I've met Mr. Allen about five or six times, so um, I don't think he would care. <laughs> I really don't think he would care. He would um, just think, oh, well, it's, it's my past. I'm making another film. And no doubt he will. I think uh, we'd better wrap it up there. Wisecracks, the comedies of Woody Allen, runs until February 8th at the British Film Institute in London. Uh, thank you to my guests, Jeff Andrew, Peter Aspton, Nigel Andrews, and thanks to you for listening. The Arts Podcast was produced by Griselda Murray-Brown. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com. Podcasts.